Thank you for that warm welcome. I hope that it's a warm outro as well, but you're gonna, I guess we'll find out here in a little bit. My name is Mark Pospisil. I have the privilege to share with you the, God's word here, and uh, I will say this. About 11 years ago to the date, I actually was up on this stage and I got married in your church. And uh, yes, yeah. And if you know my wife, I really married way outside of my level. And uh, she is good. We have, yeah, she is way outside of my level. And uh, she's a Lakewood alum. And I've spent many times sitting in these seats right here with Rick and Carrie. And uh, it's just an honor to be here. And if you did not know this, I don't know if you know Rick at all, but about 14 years ago, the first time I met him, I was at an Applebee's. I was meeting Kelsey's parents. And I started to choke. And in the middle of Applebee's, Rick saved my life and gave me the Heimlich. And, uh, and he's about this tall, you know, and compared to me. And so he had to really work. And so Brainerd always holds a special place in my heart. Because it was, the time, it was a time where I almost met the Lord sooner than I thought. So if you got your Bibles, turn over to John chapter 4. We're going to be in John chapter 4, walking through that chapter. We're going to start in verse 5. And my sermon today is entitled, Found, Loved, Changed, and Sent. Found, Loved, Changed, and Sent. And we're looking at this amazing interaction in John chapter 4, starting in verse 5, of Jesus with a woman at the well. And so before we do anything else, please join me in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege it is to worship you to know you, to walk with you. Thank you that we have your precious word right here. And so we just pray that you would open up our hearts to that. I pray that you would help me to be helpful. I pray that you would speak through my lips, that you would open up our ears and that you would be glorified here, that your son would be lifted high, that you would draw men and women to yourself. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 4, starting in verse 5. And what I want to look at this is this idea that something that's natural to us as humans and to our society is that we divide over many things. We divide over the color of our skin, black and white. We divide over our nationalities. We divide over our politics and what we believe, our ideologies, our philosophies, our beliefs. All you got to do is look around in the world and, and next year we're going to have a presidential election and I don't know about you but I am hoping that it just goes by fast because it's just a time of hate and spitting vitriol on both sides and accusations. And it almost is sickening when you see not just civil disagreement, but just the hate that's pointed at people because they are left or they are rights. And what happens when we divide and we create these things is that we have people who are insiders and we have people who are outsiders. People on the outsiders. And many of us in this room have felt that way before, or if we have not felt that, we've made other people felt, feel that way. Those who belong and those who don't. And an outsider is a person who is looked down upon, a person who is despised, a person who has secrets that they don't want other people to know about, a, a person who is not accepted, a person who doesn't know deep love. And so this morning we're seeing Jesus come to a lady who was the epitome of an outsider, epitome of being on the, on the outs. She was despised. She was the lowest of the low. But yet Jesus meets her right where she's at. But she does, he does not let her stay where she's at. 
And we're gonna, I'm going to repeat that over and over and over again. This is our big idea today, is that Jesus meets us right where we are at, but he doesn't let us stay where we are at. You can write that in your notes if it's not already there. So we're picking up God's word in verse 5, and we're going to be looking at this amazing, this is my favorite chapter in the Gospel of John. Here's what it says. This is God's word. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. So right away, we meet this woman and we learn three really important things about her. Three things that are going against her. Three things that make her an outsider, that make her despised. And back then in this culture, first thing is that she was a woman. Back then in the culture, women were not viewed with the same equality as they are today. That's just how it was. It was a patriarchal society. Men would not interact with a woman in public. Husbands would not talk to their wife in public. It wasn't allowed. And I know some men are like, I wish we could go back to that day. But that's not the case. It just wasn't allowed. Especially a woman by herself. That's how it was. It was, it was in a great culture at the time. Second thing we learn about her is that she was a Samaritan. Not only did she have a go against her, she was a woman, but she was a Samaritan. And the Jews and the Samaritans could not stand each other. There were so much prejudices and h- hatred towards both sides. The Jews had two lands at the time. They had Galilee, which was in the north, and then they had Judea, or where Jerusalem was in the south. And sandwiched between them was Samaria. And these were half-breeds. These were partial Jews, but they would also take upon themselves customs of other religions and ideas, and they would just kind of form this all together to make their own religion. And the Jews had extreme prejudice against them. They thought they were corrupting the true ways of God. And even she says, you know, how is it that you, a Jew, have, are, are, are dealing with me, a Samaritan? Uh, Kent Keener, who's a Bible scholar, says this. Jesus' interaction here would be roughly equivalent to defying segregation in the U.S. in the 50s or apartheid in South Africa in the 80s. Shocking, extremely difficult, and somewhat dangerous. So, so, so she's a woman She's a Samaritan. And the third thing we learn about her, if you remember, what time is she here getting the water at the well? What time? Noon. Okay, wake up. It's still early, but come on. Wake up. At noon. At noon. When you get up to get water for the morning, the custom was you would do it right away before the sun was hot. And you needed to have that water to go about your your chores and to drink and to cook and all of that stuff. She's here by herself at noon. Because we learn about her later is that she lived a very promiscuous lifestyle. Then even as a woman and a Samaritan, the other women around did not like her at all. She was despised. She was the lowest of the low of the low. She had all three things going against her. 
But yet, what do we see here? Jesus is meeting her exactly where she is. And the Jews at the time, if they would travel from Jerusalem up to Galilee, they would actually travel around Samaria. They would go miles and miles out of the way to get there. But yet, Jesus is intentionally going through this country right now to meet this specific woman. And this, my friends, is what I call a divine appointment. A divine appointment. It's when you are intentionally living on mission, as what we see Jesus doing here. He's meeting her right where she is. This is divine appointment, and the Lord has those for you. No matter where you are, no matter what you do, if you are his followers, if you know him, he's got divine appointments for you. Let me share one from my life with you. When I was 19 years old, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. When I was 19 years old, that is when Jesus became everything to me. He wasn't just something. He became everything. He became my treasure. He became my life. He became what I wanted everything to be about. And I had a passion to make him known, to share him. I just didn't really know how to do it. And I had a friend at the time who was a pastor. And my friend would intentionally go out of his way to coffee houses to go and meet people where they were. So one day he invited me. And I thought he was crazy. I thought he was like these crazy Christian that would be yelling at people. But I was I was interested. I want to know what it was. So he invited me to go out with him, and he gave me a stack of gospel tracts, these little tiny booklets that I put in my back pocket. And we went to this place called Barnes and Noble. Anybody know what a Barnes and Noble is? All right. And I said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. He said, well, just follow me around. You'll be fine. So we walk into Barnes and Noble, and as soon as we walk in, he beelines, and he starts talking to somebody, and I'm left in the dust just standing there. So I'm like, what am I going to do now? So I start walking around the store. Minutes are going by, and I can't talk to anybody. And I, see, I kept seeing this girl keeps coming across my path. And every time I go to open my mouth to say anything to her, nothing comes out. Ever experienced that? So I'm walking around, and an hour turns into two, and he's still talking to people. And I'm getting so frustrated, and I'm praying, and I keep seeing this girl, but yet I can't get words out. So I just... Pray to the Lord. I said, that's it. I'm done. I'm just going to go sit down, get a cup of coffee, open up my Bible until he's done. And as soon as I said that, I hear a voice behind me that says, excuse me, sir. And I turn around and guess who it was? It was that little girl. True story. And she said to me, do you work here? Because I was walking around so much. She thought I worked there. No, I don't work here. But how can I help you? She said, well, me and my boyfriend were looking for a book. I said, okay, what book? And I'm not going to tell you the title, but it was a dirty book. It was a pornographic book. So we're looking for this book. Could you help us? And I reached into my back pocket, and this is the lamest way to share the gospel ever. I reached into my back pocket, and I said, why do you want to read that when you can read this? The literal words that came out of my mouth. She grabbed that gospel track. She sat in front of me, read the whole thing. She looked up to me and she said, that was awesome. I want to talk more about this. Yeah. Listen, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just along for the ride. Sat down. Her boyfriend comes up and said, what are you guys talking about? She's like, this guy is telling me about Jesus. We're looking, up, we're looking at the Bible talking about it. He sat down. I got to share with both of them the gospel and walk through all of this in God's word there. It was amazing. How qualified was I? That qualified. How good at was, it, was I at that? Double zero. 
But yet God was there using me because I was available. All right? Now here's the question I have for you, my friends. Are you available? Are you looking for divine appointments? Are you, avail- are you going around like Jesus as he's walking? Do you avoid certain people and places so you don't have to deal with them? Or, or do you go right through it like Jesus? And even on my way here, I had a plane ride to Brainerd. I met a man named Tom. He was seven years old. I talked to him, got to share with him. I invited him to church. And if he is here, I would love for him to find me after service. Because there's the divine appointments wherever you're at or whatever you're doing. Are you available? Think about that. There's, the harvest is plentiful. There's so many people out there who need the Lord. And you are his witnesses. You are his witnesses. We have the best news in the entire world. So we're looking at this. Jesus meeting her right here. This is just an awesome story. Look at verse 10. And he continues on in our story. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, And he would have given you living water. So you see this woman, again, this woman has three things against her. Yet Jesus comes to her and he gives her this amazing analogy, this amazing metaphor. And he starts not with her being despised. He starts not with her sin. But what does he start with, my friends? What does it say? What does he start with right there? If you knew the what? The gift of God. The gift of God. If you knew the gift of God. You would have asked and I would have given you this, this living water. See, Jesus wasn't starting with all of her problems and issues. He wasn't pointing a finger at her. He was starting with God's amazing grace, God's gift, God's love. And I think at times as followers of Christ, we get into the us versus them mentality. We're always pointing the finger at other people and what's wrong with them. And we look around at our society and it is dark. And there's a lot of things in our culture that are just so terrible. So much confusion and hurt and pain and darkness around. But we look and we forget that with, apart from God's grace, we would be exactly at that same place. And we lose the mentality of meeting and loving people right where they are. We lose the power of the gospel. And we think the gospel is that when you get your life fixed up, you get everything put in order, then God loves you. But that's not what we believe as Christians. Not. It's right where you are, just as you are in all of your sin, in all of your darkness. Jesus meets you right there. Right there. I have a quote here from a guy named Scott Sauls. It's in your notes. He says this. I've never met a person who fell in love with Jesus because a Christian scolded them about their morality. Have you? Let me read that again. I've never met a person who fell in love with Jesus because a Christian scolded them about their morality. See this, we've we got to recapture this as, as the church of Jesus, as his people, Lakewood, as, as you are God's beloved. Our, our life should be embodied and should show grace all over the place. This is God's church. It's a place of grace. We have the greatest news ever. And so Jesus is meeting her here, and he gives this amazing analogy. Let's continue to read this story in verse 11 because she's interested. Her interest is piqued. Says the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? 
So she's interested. What is this guy talking about? She says, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water. So Jesus uses this amazing analogy as he finds her as he loves her to talk about worship, of what we're worshiping. Talk about water, living water that only he can offer and what we are actually worshiping and what we're about with our lives. See, worship isn't just songs that we sing or coming in and raising our hands or spending time in praise. Worship is what we build our life upon, what we live for, and why we do the things we do. And the question isn't if you are worshiping. The question is what you are worshiping. See, Scripture tells us in Romans 12, it says, offer yourself to, to the Lord as a living sacrifice, acceptable in His sight. That will be your spiritual act of worship. So worship, worship is all of our life, but the problem with this woman is that she is looking to different wells. She's looking to different water to fulfill her life. She's worshiping other things, and we're going to learn about that in a second. I don't want to get too far ahead. And Jesus is using this idea of water to explain this. Is anybody in this room like drinking water? I don't. I actually hate water. When I'm sitting around watching a football game or out about, I would have anything else to drink but plain water. Just plain. There's no taste. I want a Gatorade. I want a pop. I want something else. Or give me at least a lemon to put into it. But when I'm thirsty, when I'm exercising, when it's a hot day and I'm mowing the grass, I don't want anything else but this biggest cup of water, ice water you can get to quench my thirst. And what Jesus is saying to this woman and he's saying to all of us here in this room right now, he says, I, I have something that you need spiritually just as if you, what, what water is to you physically. Because if you go without water, what's going to happen to you? You're going to die. You can go about three, four, maybe five days. And what Jesus is saying, I have something for you spiritually that if you don't get this living water, you will die. I have the place, I have the well where you should be worshiping from, where you should be drinking from. If you don't have it, you will die. And so she, she's still confused about what's going on. And so Jesus brings this into a deeper level here and he starts showing her her heart. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now are you following this? Jesus meets her right where she is. But he doesn't let her stay where she is. He doesn't excuse these things. He 
calls out her sin, but he does it in a gentle, kind, loving way. He's showing to her that she has been living promiscuously. She's been going from one lover to another. She's been looking to be fulfilled in the arms of men, which she can only find in the arms of the Lord. She's had five different husbands, and she's now living with a guy that she's exchanging her body so that she has a place to stay with him. She is on the outs. She is low. And when you look at her, you would say she is sinful and despised. Which everyone else thought that except the Son of God. So he comes to her and he meets there. Can you imagine talking to somebody and they start revealing to you your deepest and darkest secrets? What would you think? Let's look. What does she think? Verse 19. The woman said to him, I love this, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) Who is this guy? What is this guy talking about? How does he know this about me? He's meeting her right where she is, but he's not letting her stay there. He's moving, moving her. And what we need to do as a church, we, we, we have to always recapture the wonder of the gospel because we drift from it. We do. And we need to remember that the gospel is the best news in the world. But before we can receive it, we also need to know the the bad news. Is that we're broken to the core. That we're prone to set up idols. We're prone to build our lives on other things but the Lord. We're prone to worship the creation instead of the creator. We're prone to drift and go our own ways. That's what we are. We're as people. And we need to know the good news. We need to know that Jesus comes to broken people in order to fix them, to renew them, to restore them, to make them whole. And I want to share with you a story of my life that just really captures this well. A few years back, my wife and I needed to get a new bed. And we both like a lot of space, so we get a king-size bed. All right? I don't know how couples sleep on a queen size. I need my space. And it was expensive. It's expensive. And so one day we were in Costco. Anybody been to Costco? Anybody like Costco here? Love Costco. And I'll, I'll, you'll learn more why I love it so much in a second. We were walking in the hallway, and we saw that Costco had a sale on these king-size memory foam mattress. It was expensive, so we bought it. Took it home, had some of my friends come up and lug it upstairs, and after about a week of sleeping on it, we both hated it. It was not comfortable. So I was like, I wonder if they'll take it back. And my wife called Costco, and she said, can we return this? And the lady said, our policy is that we take back anything. So I got a friend, we pulled it down, threw it into his truck, and I was going to borrow his truck and drive it back, and I made two tragic errors. The first one is that I didn't tie it down. The second one is that I was in a rush, and I went on the expressway. So, let me finish. I got on the expressway, driving, just daydreaming. I'm literally, this is all true, none of this is made up, literally one mile away, and I look, I don't know why, but I looked at the rearview mirror, and all of a sudden I saw this huge mattress flying on the expressway, hitting cars and cars swerving around it. And I had one thought, just drive, bro. (laughs) 
drive off into the sunset. Nobody knows. You could just go. Just keep going like nothing happens. But the Holy Spirit, amen for him, would not let me do that. I got off on the ex exit. I saw Costco, waved my hand. And by the time I got turned around, they caused an accident. The police were there. And in the middle of the expressway was my pristine mattress getting hit. Cars and trucks. And the cop said, what were you thinking? And I was like so anxious. I couldn't believe it. I thought someone could have got hurt. And I was like, I wasn't thinking. I'm so sorry. So he didn't write me a ticket. But he said, you need to get this thing off of the expressway. So I had to drag whatever was left of it. I saw the inside of a memory phone mattress. You know what I mean? <laughs> Threw it into the truck. And he said, do you have anything to tie it down with? And I looked in my buddy's truck, and there was a rope. And I said, yes, there is. I have something. Drove it home in shame. I'm telling you, in shame. And I got home. My wife said, hey, what's in the back of the truck? <laughs> I said, well, here's the thing. She says, well, you know what? I'm going to call Costco. God bless her. I said, okay, don't use our names. <laughs> Dial star six, seven. Don't say who we are. She called them up and she told them what happened. And the lady said this, our return policy is that we take back anything. Crazy, right? I couldn't believe it. So I said, I told, I told her what happened. She said, no, no, we take it back. So waited a little bit called one of my neighbors this time. We got in the back of his SUV, drove there, got a cart, put whatever was left of it into it, and he said, you got, this is when you got to go by yourself. I'm not going with you. <laughs> not going with you here. Came in. said, hey, we called. The lady looked at the mattress, whatever was left of it, looked at me, looked at the mattress, looked at me. So that's the first time I saw tire tracks on furniture. And then I said, will you take this back? And she said this, our return policy is that we take back anything. And as that was going on, money was coming into my hand. And I could have kissed her. I was so happy. And I'm telling you this story is because not only did Costco get a lifetime member, but this is just a little reflection on the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has a better return policy than Costco. Is that right, my friends? Is that he will take back anything, any shame, any sin, any brokenness that we have done or that's been done to us. He just says, come to me, I have living water for you. Come and bring that to me. Come. I have the living water. I will exchange that for you. You come and drink of this. I will take that upon myself. That's the gospel. That's the best message in the world. That's the good news. And that is our hope as followers of Christ. And if you don't know Jesus here this morning, if you are feeling despised and low on the outside, you have a Savior that's available right there that says, come and drink of my living water. Amen to that. Amen to that. That is the good news. And that's what Christ came to bring to us. That's what he came to bring to us. And that's what he wants for us. He loves damaged goods. And he takes outsiders and he makes them insiders. 
So let's look at this, this woman. What does she reply? She says these things, and then she tries to change the subject on Jesus because she's getting a little nervous here. Look at verse 20. She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So Jesus is confronting her. He's presenting before her this good news of the gospel, the, the living water. He, he's meeting her where she is, but he's not letting her stay there. She's getting nervous, and this is what happens with so many people. This happens with you, too. When you get into a debate, you try to dodge it. When you get into an area where you get uncomfortable, this is what we're prone towards. We try to defend or dodge it or change the subject. And this is what this woman's doing right here. Because Jesus is getting into her soul. He's getting into the deep soul surgery, what she really needs. She needs this living water, and she's throwing up a defense mechanism. She's trying to turn this into a Bible debate. Where does worship take place? And if I can give you a little background, again, I borrow this from Kent Keener. The Samaritans used to worship on a place called Mount Gerizim. They had their own temple. The Jews, you learn this from the scriptures, obviously it's really clear, they had their temple in Jerusalem. And the Jews hated the Samaritans so much, they thought their temple was fake and a fraud, that they actually, 200 years before this time, went in and broke it down and destroyed it. And they would never let a Samaritan near their holy site, because they thought that was the only place where God can be worshipped. So she's trying to change the subject here. Well, where does true worship take place? Trying to confuse him. But Jesus won't let that happen. Look what he says. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. That's the hour of Christ's resurrection, his death and resurrection. And is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So you see, Jesus is not allowing this to, to be a distraction. He keeps coming into her, speaking about what she's worshiping. What is her life built upon? He will not allow it to be a distraction. He will not get off course. And he's showing her these things. He's bringing this into it. He's talking to each one of us. And what I love about this story, too, does anybody in this room, I'll give you $1,000 if you can tell me this woman's name. Anybody know this woman's name? No one's going to pretend. No one's going to say, like, I would have guessed Mary. You know, it was $1,000 on the line, maybe. See, see, nobody knows her name, and that's for a reason. We're not going to know her name until we get to heaven. But that's for a reason because so every single person would know and be able to relate with this woman. We can place ourselves at this story and this interaction with Jesus. It doesn't tell us their name for a reason. So he's, he's interacting with her. He's showing her these things. He's showing there's not if you're worshiping, it's what you're worshiping. What are you building your life? What are you drinking from? What well are you drinking from? What are you living for? And I want to just apply this for us really quickly here. Is that as people, we are prone to drink from other wells. And one that you can see very obviously here is relationships. Just like this woman, she was trying to find her fulfillment, trying to find all of her life inside 
a relationship with a man, but it kept coming up empty time after time after time again. And we do this the same. We can give lip service that we worship God and love God, but our lives can show against that, against that. And we can try to build ourselves and find our identity inside of a relationship. We can do this as husbands and wives. When I look to my spouse as first, when I look to my spouse to give me what I can only find in Jesus, it will only end in destruction. Will not, first of all, no one can live under that pressure. And second, if something happens, I will not be hurt, but I will be crushed if something happens in my relationship. And I've seen it time and time again of people putting all of their hope into a relationship with a guy or a girl or a dating, some dating thing, and it does not end well. So we're, we're prone to do this in relationships. We're prone to look to those to give us what we can only find in Jesus. The, third, the second thing that we look to for our wells that we drink from, just like this woman here was drinking from relationships, we look to our career and our achievements to build our identity. And we worship those things. We find our life and our value in what we do and what we can accomplish. Anybody relate with that? We feel really good when things go our way, but then we feel really bad when they don't. We don't want trials or hardships. We think that God owes us a good, easy life. And if anything gets in the way of our career or our achievements, it destroys us. Third thing, so not only do we look to relationships and career and achievements, but we look to entertainment to fulfill in us what we can only find in the Lord. We're afraid of being bored, and we're always on social media in this culture today. We're always looking to sports or to something else. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But when we build our life upon them, when our joy is found in them, and, and our, all of our sadness comes from comparing ourselves to other people, to what we see there, that is not good or healthy. We can get so wrapped up in these things. We can try to find in these things what we can only find in the Lord and it doesn't end well, my friends. It doesn't end well. And so Jesus is meeting her here, and he's showing her these things, and he's loving her. And I want to finish the rest of the story out. I want to finish the rest of the story out as, as Jesus isn't something that we add to our life. He's not second to our lives. He is our life. So look what the woman says. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. It's huge right here, verse 26. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Listen to this. Some people think the Bible's sexist. The Bible's against women. It's not. The first person in the entire cosmos that Jesus reveals himself as the Savior of the world, the first person he reveals himself as the Messiah is this woman right here. This nobody, this lowest of the low of the low outcast is the first woman who knows that Jesus is the Savior who's come to redeem the world. That's incredible. 
Think about that. When Jesus was born, the first person who knew about it was Mary, a 12, 13, 14-year-old young girl who lived in an obscure land. And the first person who knows about the resurrection to witness it is Mary Magdalene, who was, who was possessed by seven demons who Jesus freed her from. See, the Bible is not against women. That's crazy that these ideas come out. Jesus loves us just as we are and meets us right where we are but he doesn't let us stay where we are. And he's revealing himself to all of us right now. And are we listening to that? That's the question. Are we listening to that? Because when we get this living water, when we taste of it, when we know who he is and what he's done for us, oh, there's nothing like that. There's nothing like that. It's the best news in the world. It changes us. It gets inside of us. It shapes us. It molds us. It causes us to love other people. It causes us to seek them out as the Lord has sought us out. And then it causes them to be sent out. Let's look at the rest of the story. Verse 28. We'll skip a verse there. Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people. Now again, why did she come there? Remember why did she come there? To get water. What did she leave? Because she found the living water. She found it. So she goes to her town and says to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. So she, she's, she's found. She's loved by Jesus. She's changed and transformed in that moment, and now she's sent out. She goes to her town, and she's witnessing to people. Again, she had no platform and influence at all, but yet she's making Christ known. And the rest of the story, we, our time does not allow us to go through all of it here today. But the town comes out, and they meet Jesus because of her testimony. And a revival breaks out. A renewal breaks out. And a renewal and a revival can break out in our community, can break out in the Baxter Brainerd area when we recover the gospel. When we know who Christ is and we know what he's done, we know his love, we know his grace, and we're shaped by that and it just bubbles up or it has to come out of us. It can happen. I've seen it. And God can use you for that purpose. No matter who you are, no matter if this is your first time here or you've been here since the beginning of the church. The Lord is not done. This is his place. And he wants to be drawing men and women to himself. Are you a community that would love a woman at the well? Are you that kind of people? What I know of Lakewood, you are. You are those kind of people. And so God has something for you. Even in this time of transition, just as Brent was saying, Pastor Brent was saying, lean in, lean deep, drink from this well, drink of the living water. It's there for you. And I want to say something else here, as most of us probably did not catch this as we read this story. Throughout the entire Bible, the idea of a husband meeting his wife at a well is a huge biblical theme. Huge, all throughout the Bible. Moses met his wife at a well. Jacob met Rachel at a well. The stories go on and on and on again. And where they get into a relationship, they get into a covenant relationship. And now you have Jesus meeting this woman at a well. And he's offering to her to be part of his people. That he is the perfect husband 
the perfect husband who loves his bride, the church. He's offering her to be part of his people. And I want you to think about this. On the cross, some of Jesus' last words, if you think about it, some of his last words, he said this. I thirst. I thirst. What Jesus was doing, he was experiencing the thirst that was inside of all of us because of our sin, that we were separated from God. He was experiencing that on the cross in order to be a fountain of living water for all of eternity to those who hope and trust in him. He thirsted so that you never have to. Man, isn't that awesome? Does that excite you? If it doesn't excite you, you can be sure that you are not grasping the amazing grace and love of God. That we have a Savior who loves us and meets us right where we are, but he loves us so much he won't let us stay that way. And so what I want to do right now, I want to transition into a time of communion. And I want to invite the worship team up, and I want to explain this in a little different way. Back at the time when a husband would meet his wife, um, there would be years and years of planning that would go on in a first century Jewish home. The fathers would talk together, and uh, uh, this guy would know this girl, know of her, and then they would bring them together for a time where they would, the husband would write out a covenant, a covenant and commitments of things he would offer and do for her, and also expectations that she would bring to the marriage. And then that man, what he would do is he would pour a glass of wine and he would put that before her. And this young woman would look at the covenant and the commitment of what it would require and all the benefits and also what it would require. And she would look at the man. And if she accepted, what she would do is she would take that glass of wine and she would drink it. If she did not accept, she would push that away and she would walk away from the table and that was the end of it. And if she accepted, what would happen is that man would go to his father's house and he would start working and preparing. They would be considered married already, but they're not fully together. If he died, she'd be considered a widow and get all of his benefits. But he was preparing a place and he was working and he would give her a guarantee that he's going to come back and wed her and bring her to him as as his own bride. And that is a little bit of what Jesus is doing for us as his people. He's meeting us and loving us. He's gone to prepare a place for us in heaven. He's given us a guarantee called the Holy Spirit. If we trust in him, the Spirit dwells with us. And he's going to come back one day and he's going to bring us to be fully his people. And so as we prepare to take communion here, I want to think of it under that realm is that the Lord has called us, his people. He's he's given us this special, sacred moment to remember his life, what he's done for our salvation. Not only do we remember that his body was broken and his blood was poured out, we also can recommit our own lives We can ask Jesus to come inside of us and dwell with us. We could recommit our affections and our desire for him and just our recommitment to him as our Savior and Lord. And finally, the third thing we do is not only do we remember and we recommit, but we also repent. 
if there is anything in our lives that have been displeasing to the Lord, if we've cherished and if we've wandered away, the scripture tell us not to come to this table in an unworthy matter, but we come with confession of sin if we need it. And this is the best place to do that. We can confess. And as these elements are being passed out here in a moment, there's going to be time of reflection and to think through these things and to remember Jesus, to recommit our lives to him as Savior and Lord, and also to turn from our sin and confess those, to confess those. And I want you to be thinking as this is being passed out as well of who he is and what he's done. And I know at Lakewood, as, as an evangelical free church, you guys practice open communion. We, we practice open communion here. Which means if you are a guest, or if you are new, it's, the table's available for you. It's for any single person who is trusting in Jesus as Savior and Lord. If you do not know Jesus, if you do not know him, we just ask that the, you would let the elements pass by. But I would also plead with you that this could be the day when you see his body this, this thing that represents his body and his blood. You see what he's done for you. This could be the day that you trust in him and you receive him as Savior. You receive him as your Lord. You drink from the living water. This could be the day.